Micah chapter 3, which is on page 657 of your Pew Bibles. Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to war against him. Therefore night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. The second reading this morning um, comes actually from Matthew chapter 23, uh, verses 1 to 36, and that can be found on page 700 of the Pew Bibles. So it's Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels and their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men and have to men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teacher of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the import, more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and, the, and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteousness, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from time to time. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of, the right, of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thanks, uh, Janet. Thanks, Rory. Uh, messages of woe always sound better in an Olsman's accent, don't they? That'd be great if you could turn back to Micah chapter 3. Uh, we will be looking at it more closely, but let us pray. Uh, Lord and Father, we do ask uh, that you would work in us powerfully this day. Uh, o Spirit of God, take the words of Christ and write them deeply in our hearts. Uh, help us to know you more deeply, uh, that we might live in such a way that pleases you. We ask it this day for your glory. Amen. 
Yeah, we've talked lots already about leadership. Uh, we'd like to think that we take leadership seriously. Uh, it may just be, though, that this morning as we look at Micah chapter 3, uh, we might be humbled. Uh, so last week in the opening chapters of Micah, in, in 1 and 2, we saw uh, God has this unique passion for injustice and idolatry, uh, which exposed in many ways our indifference. Uh, and today, Micah, Micah's name means who is like the Lord, Uh, Today, Micah forces us to consider who is like the Lord who takes leadership so seriously. Now, we we think we take leadership seriously. You know, we we are outraged at the Assad regime in Syria or uh, the 2% of pay that is devoted to training for the average Australian worker or just the way in which we go about, uh, you know, and approach our own responsibilities. We like to think, yeah, we take it seriously. But, of course, there are inconsistencies. You know, we don't actually do anything about Assad. Now, we talk about the vital role that um, the education system plays in in producing the uh, future leaders, the leaders of the next generation, uh, and yet the pay and conditions of teachers wouldn't suggest we think all that much of their role. Uh, Research this week from RMIT uh, on modern parenting's connection to bullying. Uh, So Professor Helen McGrath uh, suggests that modern parents have stopped directing their children and that they have stopped giving them a dose of reality. Uh, Instead, the the soft love approach of always saying, oh, you're great, you know, you're just wonderful, you're terrific, you know, uh, has produced a generation of bullies. So realising our inconsistencies, uh, we see again there is no one like the Lord. There is no one like the Lord. Uh, Micah 3 reminds us of that divine justice, that God takes justice and even more he takes leadership seriously. Uh, two points revealing his passion this morning. Uh, first, that God calls corrupt leadership to account. Uh, and secondly, that God graciously gives good leadership. Uh, the first one, uh, the longer one, the, the weight of what Micah 3 is all about is that God calls corrupt leadership to account. Uh, so in verse 1 to 4, uh, Micah lines up the leaders of Jacob, the rulers of Israel. Uh, in his sights are the, the civil magistrates, the, the lawyers of the time, those who are supposed to enforce law. Uh, In chapter 2, we saw injustice was rife amongst God's people. There were widows and orphans being cast out of their land, out of their homes. And God is calling attention now to those who provided the legal cover, who made it all possible. Uh, That is, they've corrupted their vocation. In verse 1, they should know justice. That is, justice should be coursing through their veins. They should love doing justice, but instead, what they know of justice is how to find the loophole. In verse 2, Uh, They hate good. The expression there is that goodness is a foul stench in their nostrils, uh, that it stinks. They want to get far away from good. And Micah pictures their corruption with uh, what I'd suggest is perhaps some of the Bible's most offensive imagery. Uh, They butcher and they cannibalise God's precious people. And Micah doesn't let us kind of skip over it. He labours the description in verse 2. They tear flesh off my people. Uh, Verse 3, they eat and they tear at my people's flesh. They strip off their skin, they break bones and they make them into a pot roast. They are feeding on the others, God's precious people. And God will call them to account for this perverse leadership. 
Uh, in verse 4, they will cry out to the Lord. Um, it's a cry for help. The cry, the expression in verse 4, the cry is a technical one normally used in legal matters, making a legal appeal. And like so many who had cried to them without a hearing, they will cry to God and all they will get is silence. Proverbs 21 verse 13 warns, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And that's what God's doing. You know, they cry to the Lord in desperation, but it's all too late. Uh, Calvin put it, Micah confronts us with the greatest evil that could ever befall us. That is, God rejects those who reject him and that God refuses to answer them. You know, they say in the trenches, uh, there are no atheists. You know, and we like to think that when everything else fails, uh, you know, everyone wants to know, at least God is there. And the horror of this verse is there is a time that comes when a sinner's cry just echoes in silence. God takes uh, civil leadership seriously. Uh, Just like he takes spiritual leadership seriously. Uh, Verse 5 to 7, the the shift uh, in the attention falls on on lying prophets. Uh, In chapter 1, God had condemned idolatry. He condemned uh, that that distortion of what we were made to do. We were made to love God with everything we have and God condemned that. And now he turns to condemn those who let it happen. You know, verse 5, they've been peddling lies about God for profit. Uh, So if someone will feed them, they'll preach peace. Sure, peace to you, but uh, if someone will hold back the cash, they proclaim judgment. It's a a classic prosperity gospel. You know, if you give generously to God's work, if you give generously particularly to this preacher of God's work, uh, then God will bless you abundantly. You know, give, give, give that you might receive. Give to me. And and their spiritual leadership is really self-serving. Yeah, and the language that Micah uses for their feeding in verse 5, the way they feed, uh, is used 10 times in the Old Testament to refer to a snake bite. You know, these prophets are snakes, just like Jesus accused the Pharisees of his day. They, they bite the hand, they, they tell people lies, they assure them, no, no, you've got peace with God, rather than tell them the truth that they don't. You know, that's the work of a deceiver, a snake, not a servant of God. And God will call that, that perversion of truth to account but not with a blazing fire, but with darkness. Uh, in verse 6, instead of vision, they'll have night. Now, just as those, those cries of the corrupt magistrate got met with silence, they will get no answer from God either. Again, those words of Calvin. The greatest evil that could ever befall us, that is, that God rejects those who reject him and God refuses to answer them. It is a disastrous place to be when God refuses to speak to you any longer. And that's what God says he will do to these people. Now, we live in a a country with ready access to the word of God, but it may just be that God has withdrawn the hunger from our nation for it. What a terrible place to be. Now, a prayer point we got from, uh, we prayed a little for our our Vietnamese brothers and sisters uh, who are suffering uh, for their, their faith in Christ, uh, one of their prayer points was about the desperate lack of Bibles in their country. Whereas here, you know, we're in a land with so many copies, but most people know, you know more about the contestants on The Voice than they do about what Micah says in his prophecy. You know, who is like God who takes leadership so seriously, so consistently, that he actually gives what people deserve? 
Yeah, and at this point, uh, Micah's audience in the south, remember he, this is, he's preaching in the south, uh, they could have slid into some kind of this smug self-assurance. You know, they might have found comfort. You know, God's having to go with those corrupt people up north. They're going to get judged. Super. And so in verse 9 to 12, Micah kind of ties the two strands together of civil and spiritual leadership and he brings it close to home. So the rulers in verse 9, the priests and the prophets alike in verse 11, they are both guilty of presumption. You know, it's not a problem of the people up in north. Perhaps the most offensive is verse 10. Zion, Jerusalem has been built on blood. It's been happening close to home. Uh, in Micah's time, um, Jerusalem exploded as a city. So it went from um, uh, 37 acres, was all of Jerusalem at the start of Micah's kind of preaching time, to 150 acres in, uh, in his ministry. It, it, it kind of mushroomed, it ballooned. It, and a lot of that growth was from northern refugees who fled from the Assyrians and came to the south. But it seems that what they were met with when they came south was the same kind of civil and spiritual corruption and leadership as what was going on in the north. You know, the blood founded the expansion of Jerusalem. And what's worse, in verse 11, they're doing it with arrogance, this sense of presumption. They, you know, verse 11, yet they lean upon the Lord. They say, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will come to us. You know, they've disregarded and misunderstood how seriously God takes justice. You know, they, they have ripped out of context promises God makes of, I will never forsake you. Uh, they've taken it out of context. And so in verse 12, the city built on violence will be violently brought down. God takes leadership seriously, no inconsistencies. He calls it to account and gives it what it deserves. And if that's what God is like, you can start to get a sense of of some of the implications for us. You know, that God will call all leaders to account. Again, Andrew's very helpful definition. You know, leadership is not just formality, but but having influence over others, uh, those spheres we have. And God will call all leaders to account. And in lots of ways, that's great news, isn't it? You know, we want to know Bashar al-Assad, who is getting away with senseless murder at the moment, will one day face a reckoning. You know, whatever is happening in Syria, Assad will one day stand before the Lord and he will have to give an account for the way in which he has led. You know, Charles Taylor... Uh, the uh, former president of Liberia. Uh, He was convicted in The Hague this week, found guilty of promoting uh, atrocities in neighbouring Sierra Leone for about 11 years. Uh, The prosecutor felt his 50-year sentence was getting off lightly. But one day he will face a greater courtroom. Now, Romans 13 details how every authority exists at the appointment of God. Uh, Romans 13, 4, they are all God's servants. And every servant must give an account to their master. You see, don't you, why the Apostle Paul calls us in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for kings and queens and all those in authority. You know, for 60 years, um, over half the time Australia has been a nation, for 60 years Queen Elizabeth has been on the throne. Uh, It's a diamond jubilee, there's celebrations, a few English hearts are fluttering at the moment. Uh, She is still our queen. Uh, you would think that a, a woman like her, with all her wealth and with all her power, would need nothing from you. You're wrong. She needs your prayers. As does every world leader, as does every kids' church teacher, as does you know, every middle manager you have to deal with. You know, God will call all leaders to account. 
And you can see as well why, why the Apostle Peter encourages in 1 Peter 2 to, yes, submit to human institutions, but even more in 1 Peter 2, 17, fear God. You know, when you know all the leaders are going to be called to account, something of the, the aura of fear around you know, poor leaders at work kind of fades away. You know, why does the workplace bully get away with it? Well, because we think if you complain to HR, uh, an investigation will happen and there'll be lots of talk and lots of things written up, uh, but justice really won't get served and so we don't do anything. I chatted with someone who very intentionally didn't want to deal with the corrupt leaders at work because he knew it would only turn out bad for him. But when we realise there's a, a greater accounting to be given one day, we're actually freed up, aren't we? We can, we can pursue justice now knowing that one day we'll be vindicated. You know, we can blow the whistle. We, we gospel-loving Christians can pursue justice. Uh, what's really interesting about Micah 3 um, is that the king is noted, noticeably not named, nor is the high priest at the time. It's his general judgment on, on civil and spiritual leaders. God will call leaders, all leaders, civil, spiritual, to account. And that means, logically, God will call to account your leadership. You know, God will call to account what you have done in your sphere of influence. Now, I, I suspect we're quite familiar with that when it comes to kind of spiritual areas, Christian leadership. Uh, James 3 warns that not many of you should be uh, presumed to be teachers because you know that you who, judge, who teach will be judged more strictly. And I've had people who have declined uh, leading kids' church and declined leading uh, Bible study in the past, youth groups, because they understand there is a really heavy responsibility that comes with teaching the gospel. Yeah, and there are any number of disasters that can happen when it's taken too lightly. Uh, a friend's church is still recovering two years later from the, the errors and sins of their pastor. You know, people left church and some people left, I think, the faith. You know, it's why Jesus takes it so seriously and, and cries out woe on the Pharisees at the time because of the eternal havoc they wreak. Now, it's a great duty uh, to take spiritual responsibility for another. And so uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17, gives advice, submit to your spiritual leaders. Um, that is, make their, their job easy because they're going to have to account to God for it. That's why, you know, as Andrew pointed out, parenting is a really demanding task. Not only is it kind of physically and, and emotionally stretching, but God views you as accountable spiritual leaders of your children. Yeah, and divine justice will account for, for all leadership. And while we might, might be familiar with, you know, yeah, he'll be accountable for, you know, he'll take me to account for my spiritual leadership and authority, I fear we, we don't take seriously that God will account for the way you executed your civil leadership. Just the stuff that either formally you've got or just naturally in life you have influence over. Uh, the oil baron, uh, J.D. Rockefeller, once described, uh, or he was described this way, as a conscientious Christian who struggled to end the livelihood of his every rival. You know, this conscientious Christian who tried to crush people. You know, on one side, uh, Rockefeller followed his devoutly Baptist mother and he donated you know, half a billion dollars to charities. He protected wildlife and he uh, gave relief to war victims and he supported missionaries in China. Uh, but on the other side, he followed his father's teaching. His father said to him uh, once, I cheat my boys every chance I get. I want to make him sharp. You know, and so in business, he was ruthless. Uh, he violently put down uh, worker unrest. He bribed competitors and got inside information. That is, Rockefeller failed to see that God would account for all his leadership, not just his spiritual side. 
You know, I know lots of people have turned down responsibility of, no, no, I can't lead that youth group. But I'm yet to meet a Christian who turned down a promotion because they were conscious it was a big task that God would ask them to give an account for. You know, the, the magistrates of Micah's day turned a blind eye. Uh, you know, they ignored justice because they just wanted to get paid. You know, it seems they were keeping the letter of the law and God will call you to account for how you executed justice in your sphere of influence. You know, and it's not enough to just say, oh, I was fitting in with others, I was following systems or orders that undermine justice. You know, God will call an account of your leadership. You know, who is like God who takes leadership so seriously in every aspect? Second and much briefer point, God graciously gives good leadership. In, in verse 8, there's a kind of interjection. Micah kind of steps in with a bit of personal testimony. Verse 8, As for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. You get it? That God, in his kindness and God in how seriously he takes leadership, he doesn't leave a vacuum even though his people are rebellious. Um, you know, Micah is there and standing in contrast to other leaders and, he, and he see, it seems like Micah is alone and it seems like Micah is swimming against the tide of popular culture but, but Micah is far from alone. He is filled with the spirit of the Lord. Yeah, and by that spirit, Micah has strength to stand against opposition and, and by that spirit, he exercises justice. You know, it's an indication that good leadership is actually not just a matter of skill but actually character. Yeah, and by that spirit... Micah is mighty and he is courageous enough to do his task, that is, tell the ugly truth, declare to Israel their sin. Now, here is the mercy of God, maintaining a voice in the midst of lies. And this spirit-led leadership is a a small comfort for God's people in the talk of judgment, isn't it? But more than that, it's a rebuke. It's a reminder that good leadership needs to be followed. And they should be following leadership grounded in the Spirit of God. You know, the Spirit of God has always been the mark of leadership we must listen to. Uh, Isaiah spoke like Micah did and said, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, Jesus took a little bit of Isaiah. He stood in Luke 4, stood up in his local synagogue in Nazareth and he read out from Isaiah. He read, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to declare the time of God's favour. He said more, but he rolled up the scroll and before he sat down said, today in your presence that is fulfilled. You know, the, the sign of true willingness, true leadership is the spirit of God. The sign of true leadership is the willingness to say the truth of God even to followers who don't want to hear it. It's just like what the Lord Jesus did. It's just like what we need to follow. Now, Professor McGrath's critique of modern parenting is exactly that. You know, she says, children need a good old-fashioned dose of reality, including in their school reports. Uh, if you've got school reports recently, if you're children of that age, you kind of read them, you go, yeah, they're perfect. Uh, she goes on, the silliest thing you can tell children is, if you set your mind to it, you can do anything you want. Now, what, what good leadership children need is the truth. Good leadership speaks the truth, which is what the God who cannot lie offers us. It's the leadership we need to follow and listen to. You know, Micah is warning the people of God by that interjection and he's warning us today. Don't just listen to those who stroke your ego. You know, our temptation is, oh, we'll just delight in those who make us feel comfortable, even those who make us feel content in our sin. 
Yeah, but where that spirit in you just to, to praise the boss who only ever says, you're doing a great job. Even more. But where that desire to, to read Christian books that never challenge your life or, or shift churches so that you only ever go to places that affirm you as a great person. You know, good spirit-based leadership will confront. Now, it will point out the depth and the breadth of your sin and failures. It will speak of the corruption of your heart and, and how that taints every action you do. Now, over the years, good spirit-filled leadership will actually make us more convinced than and more aware of just how sinful we are. You see that in mature Christians, that they're more aware of their sin now and feel that they're a bigger sinner than they were when they first started following Jesus because that's what spirit-filled leadership does. And it does it because only then will we come to lean entirely on the gracious and saving leadership of Christ. Yet we value leadership, we do, but nothing like God does. Nothing like him. You know, no one else gives it such a serious accountability. No, no one else gives such perfect leadership that we can follow to speak truth into our situation. Who is like our God? Let's praise him. Let's pray to him now. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you are a great God who takes justice and leadership seriously. Father, we know that so much of human leadership is failed and flawed. So much is self-interested and self-serving and we thank you that you will call it to account. Father, we're aware that you will call to account the way in which we influence others and we ask that we might do it in a way that actually promotes love and not self-interest. Help us see our failures that we might change. But even more, Father, help us always to listen to your good leadership, to listen to where the Spirit is calling and changing us. Father, help us to follow you, for there is none like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.